We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And today we look ahead to the last third of the season. Lakers have played 54 games, which is approximately two-thirds of the season. Odd little scheduling stretch here. We had a back-to-back against Denver and New Orleans, then three days off, which is very rare. We have another back-to-back with uh, Detroit and Utah, and then the All-Star break. So kind of a quirky schedule right now. But the this team, one of the stranger Laker teams I've ever followed as a fan. And one of the things that I was hoping for after the trade deadline was I could see a plausible path to where we want to go. I think we need Vando back in order to get there. I don't think we can get there with, without him. But really like the Dinwiddie edition. But it's a different team than I expected it to be. Earlier this year, I was excited about some of the defensive fastballs that we were able to throw. And lately, I'm excited about some of the offensive fastballs we've been able to throw. And in short, the end of this season to me is kind of putting those two things together because those two teams have been kind of with different supporting players. And so how are you able to kind of fuse those two styles? But I think that it's doable in these last 28 games. So where are you at, Do What are you looking for for this last portion of the season? I thought this four-game stretch to close this part of the season going into the All-Star break was very important. I would have loved to have gone 4-0, and honestly, and with two games left, um, they've split, right? So they're 1-1 one one with, again, Detroit tonight and then at Utah tomorrow night, which is not a great back-to-back. Utah has diminished their team a little bit, not to the extent that they did last season before the trade deadline, but they did trade a couple of rotation players out. So. Detroit doesn't have a very good record. Utah is sort of um, in that play-in chase. But I really want to get these wins, Pete. Like, I think that these wins are super important. The Lakers are two games over 500 right now. And the prospect of going into the All-Star break four games over 500, considering the sort of, like, gray cloud that seems to Mm -hmm. be, like, over the team or... I feel like there are folks who are like follow the team intently who are not very high. Like the fact that the Lakers like didn't make a move at the deadline seemed to really irk a lot of folks. And and so there's 
this seeming like renewed pessimism around the team. Meanwhile, sure. like we've been talking and we've been like, hey, I kind of like where things are going. And it's an interesting separation between sure, those sure. two sides, I think. I agree with you on bridging the best offensive version of this team, which has really been coming on of late with the defensive ceiling the team showed in their run to the IST title. That can be a very dangerous basketball team. Mm -hmm. And whether or not being both of those things at the same time is even possible, considering the different players who contribute to that is... I think a tricky needle to thread. I do think it's possible. I think that if Mike was here, he would tell you a lot of that's going to come down to LeBron and AD. And I'm Mm in 100% agreement there because when AD is at his best and LeBron is at his best on both sides of the ball, this team is imposing defensively on the back line and on the perimeter based off of their defensive versatility. And then when you add in potentially like a Rui and a Vando and the strides they were showing with Vando offensively. It's add that to the guards then. And Mm -hmm. that's where you start to see that bridge. Right. But that's a long ways off, man. Like I'm still looking at when these two games go into the all-star break with some momentum, get your, get your bodies right as best as you can, and then come out of the other side looking to build on what you established in those first 54 games. And to a certain extent, man, like there's no more speculation about what the team is. Like obviously Vando's injury is a question mark, but at some point you're going to get all of these dudes back. You add Spencer Dinwiddie. And and so how are you looking at Dinwiddie's addition in the context of what he said yesterday at his media availability with what we discussed in the aftermath of the move? And how do you see that sort of idea coming together a little bit more? So first off, and this will bridge into your into your question, I totally get why there would be that pessimism. This is a team that's basically been a 500 team all year that the goal is to win a championship. And so how are you going to do that with this 500 team for 50 games and not make a move at the deadline? And so I would argue that Dinwiddie is the move at the deadline. They went about it in a slightly different way. But in terms of the timing and the ultimate result of it, adding a guy like him to the team without giving anything up is a a nice little upgrade right now. Is that something that takes a 500 team to a championship contender? No. But I was never going to lose hope on the championship aspirations aspirations of this season until they gave it a shot of like playing the bigger groups and until they started running five out offense the way that it is intended to be, which has absolutely been the case for a good six plus weeks now. And so between that and the recent lineup switch, the new group is 4-0, I think, as the starting lineup. They have a chance to go 6-0 going into the into the break. With these two games coming up, D, they got to run. That's something that I'm curious to see. Is it one of those, ah, my trip to wherever I'm going on the All-Star break is creeping in? We've seen that happen many times over the years. Or is it a, we want to go into the break winning six of seven? And it's totally possible. They're they're totally capable of doing that. And so they got to maintain that focus for now. So to your question, D, about, uh, about Dinwiddie and his comments afterward, he was very much talking about this is a plug and play type of circumstance where, and this is something that, that uh, Mike was talking about and that drive and kick type of ability is he has a very interchangeable type of game that I think 
of all of the type of players that you can add, especially a, a guard that can handle the ball a little bit more, I think he can do a little bit on ball and off of ball. But there is going to be a certain degree of figuring out how he fits in to that. That said, I am excited that I think we've got about five guys that we can credibly put next to LeBron and AD. Now, I do think that there are ways to misuse and to go too small, and I'm very afraid of what direction we go with that. Between, But between Dinwiddie, D'Lo, Austin, Rui, and Prince, I think you've got five guys where if three of them are having a good game, you're in business. And, and I think that that's something that is something that you could credibly ask for. So even without Vando, without Gabe returning, uh, without Cam all of the perimeter defenders really, you know, we've missed the almost a hundred games of perimeter defender games this season between Vando, Gabe, Cam, and Max's injuries. They've missed about a hundred games this season. And so it's pushed us in this offensive direction that I think that continuing to flesh that out for now until we get the cavalry back, is kind of the only thing we can do, you know? Yeah. And offensively, it's been working. They're seventh in offense over the last 15 games. And they were so bad. They were so bad for so long. Yeah, and so they're up to 19th on the season, but they were firmly like 23rd through 25th for a really long time. So over that stretch of 15 games, like their offensive rating is close to one night is around 119. They're second in assist per game. They're like fourth or fifth in assist percentage. Their true shooting and effective field goal percentages are like top five. Their three-point shooting is, I think, like seventh or mm-hmm. sixth. They're shooting 39.8% on threes over their last 15 games. Like the general flow and rhythm that the team is showing offensively is just night and day from where they were earlier in the season. And is their defense where it needs to be? No, it's not. But I will say that in starting the bigger group, and supporting LeBron and AD with just a little bit more size on the back line. It's not even necessarily showing up on the backboards to me where Rui's like rebounding a bunch. It's more like that extra guy who is able to like challenge a shot at the rim and just a block here or there that is making a difference defensively in ways where it's not like Prince was Vanderbilt out there right where it's just like you could put him at the point of attack and feel relatively comfortable that you're impacting the like top line score in front of him and so if that's not the case then what you actually need is more backline support and i honestly feel like lebron has needed that backline support much more than he's needed like this perimeter dog right like it'd be nice to have both and that's what vando can do vando can also protect the rim a little bit as as a backline defender while also being this dog at the point of attack defensively. And that's why, as you noted earlier, like I don't want to say their championship aspirations hinge on a healthy Jared Vanderbilt, but without him, their defense just won't be good enough. Yeah, they won't I be able to get to like, that point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like with him, there's still too many question marks. But without him, it's just like, oh, man, you're going to have to really just go on an offensive heater to a level that we haven't seen this group could reach yet. That said, Ben, like I am intrigued by 
what they're doing offensively. And I'm intrigued by how Spencer Dinwiddie can fit into that equation. So let's go to break here. And when we come back on the other side, I want to talk a little bit more about what Dinwiddie had to tell us about what he thought and where he thinks that he can fit in. So one of my goals right now is to eat better. But in the thick of the NBA season, that can be hard to do. So I recently joined Factor, and Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service to help me do that. They can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track for your healthy lifestyle. Choose from 35-plus weekly, flavor-packed, fresh and never-frozen meals that support a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences, all delivered right to your door and ready to eat in two minutes. And you can enjoy the extra convenience at any time of day with an assortment of 55-plus add-ons to suit various preferences and tastes. Head to Factormeals.com slash LakerFilm50 and use code LakerFilm50, all one word, to get 50% off. That's code LakerFilm50 at Factormeals.com slash LakerFilm50 to get 50% off. So Pete, you mentioned um, plug and play. was interesting. He seems to have a very clear view of his own game and what he can do. I brought up some stats yesterday about Dinwiddie's drives and his corner shooting, especially. And he spoke to the idea that he can be a downhill player and that he can have some uh, driving ability, which is something that he said the coaches and Rob probably spoke to him about. He also discussed his own game within the context of like, hey, when I played with Luca, like, like, and shout out to Luca, he got me a bunch of open looks and I feel pretty confident I can knock down those, those open looks. And he said on the inverse, when I've played on other types of teams, I've had to shoot a lot of like bad shots, basically. Like I've had the ball in my hands a lot and I haven't been able to make those shots at the level that I would like. And on certain types of teams, I've been asked to take more and more and more of those shots as a greater percentage of my overall volume and my shooting percentages suffer. And he's like, to me, he sounded like a player who was more than comfortable to go back to this role where maybe other guys are creating more shots for him. He also spoke about his need to play hard on defense because LeBron and AD need that support defensively. And so a very polished media guy, he said a lot of the right things. And I'm wondering what you thought about his media availability and how that overlaps with your own view of what you think the team needs. So one of the things that struck me was, you know how Dinwiddie was at the game sitting next to Palenka and in front of everybody the, the day before he signed. And so they asked LeBron and AD about Dinwiddie in the locker room and they were speaking of him as though he were already on the team. And the first thing that both guys said, both guys said were, he's a veteran. Right. He's somebody who's been through the battles, who knows how it goes. And I think that this is something that of the Lakers issues that we've we've discussed this year, we talked about it a little bit earlier this year, but not a whole ton. But most of our role players, most of our next guys. And when I say role players, I'm not talking vet minimum guys that may play, may not. But like core rotation guys are very young in their career, even, you know, guys like Austin and Rui 
uh, Delo's been through a little more of, of those wars, but several of our rotation guys have not played in a ton of big games, last season being really the time where they got most of that experience. A guy like Dinwiddie has been through a lot of different types of things, right? And so his ability to come in and know the deal, I think we needed one more guy like that, regardless of position. Now, it's funny you were talking about how at the beginning how Dinwiddie seems to have a very clear eyes, clear eyes about his game. One thing that stood out to me was actually the opposite of that in that he described himself as six, six. And I'm like, with the hair, maybe. And, uh, and, you know, as a point of attack defender that can guard up to the wing. Now, these things are true. And this is played in and Darwin's comments play into this as well. But there was a certain amount of those red flags about, oh, Lord, we're going to have three guard lineups where we're giving up elbow rebounds on long threes over and over again. I, I do think that's one of the stories for the last part of this year, D, is to what degree did we learn, quote unquote, from those first 50 games that we actually do need those guys on the back line? Or is the addition of Dinwiddie just like, oh, we're going to try this guy in the same idea as we were having before, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's fair. Um, Darwin's comments about <laughs> Darwin could speak sometimes in ways that I think can be like too flowery just because he doesn't criticize players publicly very often at all and and so there is like a baseline level of defense that i think is going to come from spencer dinwiddie and darvin implied that that level was going to be much higher dinwiddie is a good athlete he's not a great athlete but he's a good athlete he's a better athlete than austin and delo and he is about their size Austin's listed at 6'5", Dinwiddie's listed at 6'5", Delo's listed at 6'5". They're all about the same size, but Dinwiddie's a better athlete than all of them. Can he leverage that athleticism to be a better defender than them? I think that he probably can. Has he shown that over the course of his career? Probably not. The asks on him here are likely going to be a little bit different, though. Even when he went to Dallas, it was like, hey, man, like, we need you to score. Right. Like you need to be one of those dudes. And so I'm interested in hearing what the ask is and how he bridges the ask with what he's able to do. Well, I think the fact that he can be asked to do a few different things, maybe it's not at an, an elite level, but he can score in a bunch of different ways, whether it's on ball or off. He's going to get you three or four rebounds, which I know doesn't sound like much, but from the guard spot is helpful, particularly on a team that stinks at tracking those down on the perimeter, you know? And so that fact that he has that versatility, that's part of my argument for Rui at the three is that he can sort of help out on the Zion Williamson's. There was a possession in that last game where Hayes had been playing great, but Zion got matched up on him where Zion had the ball and just went right at Hayes' chest, two possessions in a row in the fourth quarter. We sub Rui in, tries the same thing, it's a turnover, right? And so those types of players, that's why I kind of see Dinwiddie as sort of the backcourt Rui in a lot of ways, in that he is a guy that can access several different parts of the game from that position, that having those guys come off the bench is super helpful. 100%. And I'm more of the mind that's like, look, if the idea of him is just like, oh, well, he's going to be this elite defensive player, like, no, you've got it wrong. The question is, like, is he going to try out there maybe more than he's tried when he was on Washington or more than he tried this past season in Brooklyn? Well, you heard his quote, right, about why'd you go go to the Lakers instead of Dallas? Did you hear his answer to that? Yeah, so 
he made this analogy. And so he's speaking my language already, right? He's out here making an analogy, <laughs> but he's, but he basically said it's going back to Dallas would have been this situation where it's just like, you get your butt kicked and you, and you're just like, ah, it's okay. Like I'm going to go back and everything is going to be fine. And he's like, but going to the Lakers, it's like when your pops tells you like, what are you doing here? You better go back out there and fight and fight mm-hmm. and fight until you win. And mm-hmm. To me, that was him basically saying, like, this is my opportunity to go and do the thing and compete at the level in which we weren't able to do. And his exit from Dallas, I think, was fine. Everyone was fine. And obviously, he was strongly considering going back. He spoke of them fondly. He spoke of his relationship with Luca and him playing off of a player like Luca very fondly. So clearly, they were in the mix for him to go Mm -hmm. back to. And... It's that idea of remember when Dennis came back and he was just like, oh, it's unfinished business. Yeah. And Dinwiddie seemed more of the mind. It's just like, well, that that business is going to stay unfinished. Like I'm I've got unfinished business for myself, which is to try Mm -hmm. to do this at this level rather than unfinished business with that group of guys. As he turns that view inward and the coaches are telling him this is what we need from you, his ability to reach that. I'm skeptical he's going to be able to reach the level defensively that he needs to reach. That said, Pete, it's just like, look, man, you can't tell a guy, like, remember all the laughing that we did at, like, Malik Beasley, point of attack monster for, like, the Bucks. Sure. And obviously, Beasley has not fulfilled that point of attack. Like, he hasn't been, they just traded for for Pat Beverly, for God's mm-hmm. sakes, right? Like, they're still looking to fill that need. But... Beasley's competing much harder defensively than he has probably at any other point in his career is does that make him a good defender it doesn't but if he's going to compete at that level then you're getting something from him at that level Mm -hmm. where then offensively if he's making shots you're going to win minutes with him on the court or win shifts that are needed in order to get to the point where you can have a winning record. And what I'm looking for from the Lakers and from Dinwiddie especially is that sort sort of idea. He's a good enough offensive player that if he's competing hard defensively, the Lakers are going to win parts of the game where they haven't been winning mm-hmm. those parts of the game before. And those yeah. things are going to help you be ahead on the scoreboard when the game is over, man. And so Does it worry me that Darwin might say like, oh, yeah, three guard lineups like I could see them closing some games. I think people have skipped over the sum part of that. Mm -hmm. Like there have been plenty of games where D'Lo didn't close. There have been games where Austin didn't Mm -hmm. close. What's the reasoning that people are using to think suddenly D'Lo, Austin and Dinwiddie are all going to close like every game? Come on, man. Like that doesn't make sense to me at all. Just based off of. The history of this exact team with these exact players. And it's funny, we're a little bit scarred on the three guard lineups because they haven't worked. And I would argue that a lot of the reason is because we've gotten a lot of the downsides of them without a lot of the benefit. It's been guys like Pat Bev and Russ and guys that are not shooters necessarily. They don't have a a ton of perimeter ability. And so when you go small, but you can't stretch the floor, you're kind of getting the worst of both worlds. Go look at the lineup data from last season when D'Lo, Austin, and Dennis played together. Those groups were critical Mm -hmm. in the Lakers making the run that they did when LeBron was out 
right? And so there is a time and a place for three guard lineups. There's a time and a place for three guard lineups to have a bunch of ball handling and skill. And there's a uh, Definitely a time and a place for for that where all three guys can shoot, all three guys can attack a closeout, all three guys can play pick and roll. And if you support those guys with Anthony Davis and either an engaged LeBron James or a player like Rui or a player like Jackson Hayes, where it's just like, oh, look, there's size and motor that's on the court. And you've got these three skill guards and the ball is pinging around the court. And Look at this. Here's Austin Reeves in the corner shooting a wide open three. Or here's Spencer Dinwiddie. Or here's D'Angelo Russell above the break. These are the types of actions where why are we only looking at the downside of this and not the upside? That's not to say that that's not to say that there won't be times where you're just like, damn it, get get a rebound. Or how come you can't get a stop here? Or what are you doing on this? Like, But that's every game with every team. And we live and die with these possessions. But how many times during a Lakers game recently, especially when the team has been playing better, has there been this stretch where I'm sending you a text message where I'm just like, oh, damn it, do something here to do X, Y, and Z. But a minute and a half later, it's just like, oh, there it is. There's the thing I was just looking for a minute ago. That happened in the text right against the Knicks, where it was Mike that was just like, oh man, I need AD to to like step up here. And literally the next possession, he got that two block sequence on Hart and then Brunson. And it's just like the team and the players are, these are good players. Like they're going to help in legitimate ways. Am I suddenly concerned that Darwin is going to be like, oh yeah, well, like we're going to play three guards the entire game? I'm actually not really to tell you the truth. Do, do I think that we might over index on that some? I do, honestly. But if those groups score, which is what they're out there to do, then things are going to work out in the end. Let's take one last break. And I, I do think those groups are going to score. I do think also with the personnel issues they have with the injuries, defending is a, a tricky, tricky business. So let's take one final break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the options that they have on the table. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Typically, defensively, there's sort of this spectrum of aggressiveness that the more talent that you have especially on the perimeter, the more aggressive you can be, the less you have on the perimeter, the less aggressive you can be. The Lakers having lost several players that are 
best at their uh, that are amongst their best perimeter perimeter defenders do not have a whole lot of pressure that they can exert uh, there. And so, what are some of the options that you considered to be on the table right now in a group where Rui's starting and doesn't have the foot speed necessarily to navigate screens? I think that's been one of the tensions: is who is the biggest player that can move their feet on the perimeter and knock down a perimeter shot? You'd be surprised at how many guys that we have don't quite check all of of, of those boxes. Um, and so. What are some of the options that we have on the table now without that point of attack defense, without a lot of the uh, perimeter guys that we would normally have? Vando being out is a killer in this exact regard, right? Cam too, but Cam's like still wing size to me or even guard sized. And so I think Max being out hurts here. Like there's too many guys out to be like, oh yeah, well, who can do it? Well, it's like, the answer might be Jackson Hayes, which in its own way is like problematic in terms of like he's not he's not providing the outside shooting spacing, but he does do some some other things from a spacing perspective. I think Pete like cobbling together lineups that work defensively are mostly going to be about is LeBron James defending at a baseline level, because if he's not, then this team isn't going to be good on defense. They simply don't have the personnel. And so I kick the question back to you. Like, how do you envision them cobbling together enough defense with these groups? Sure. I, I think it's an opportunity to get better at our zones to some degree. That won't be something that they do, you know, consistently through throughout the game in terms of it being a primary look. But I do think that it's something that even going into the playoffs, having different zone looks and having some reps on that, um, that is usually how coaches handle that particular problem of we don't have a guy that can guard your guys uh, out on the perimeter. And so I, that is something that I, I do think that we can do. We're switching a little bit more um, and playing Hayes and AD together. Let's turn this away from the prism of the starters to, to begin with, but those bench groups and the emergence of Hayes, he's a better perimeter defender than he is on the interior and some of his closeouts and then being able to run in transition. I think in terms of like how we attack it defensively, I do think there has to be a certain degree of we're going to let you shoot jump shots. We're going to close close out with a big athlete that can get his hands high to impact that jumper best as he can, and then he's going to keep running. Whether that's Rui, whether that's LeBron, AD, Jackson Hayes, those type of guys. And so we have to be in sort of a conservative defense to some degree, D, but I do think that with the guys that we have, we can cobble together a certain degree of we're going to have to make you make jump shots. And so teams will do that. We've seen that throughout the season, particularly against our defensive coverages. Although one thing we haven't talked about on the pod, D, the overhelping. We've talked about this in the thread all year. Austin's overhelping and things like that. Talk to me about about that and not just through the lens of Austin, although I think he's the guiltiest party in in this, but that whole, okay, we're going to have you shoot jump shots. There's a way to do that well, and there's a way not to. I'm just curious about your thoughts on this. Yeah, the overhelping has been problematic, to say the least. And one of the reasons why teams are shooting so well against the Lakers, or had been for that, that extended stretch, is the types of threes that the team was giving up were mostly like those one pass away threes where guys are totally in rhythm and waiting for the pass that typically doesn't come against other sorts of defenses. And so when they do get that pass, they're like, oh man, you're giving me this look? This, this used to be a, a cardinal sin in basketball, D, is you absolutely, when we were growing up, growing up, you do not help from one pass away. You absolutely don't, particularly if that player can shoot. Austin has been the player 
that helps the most. And he's often lurking into the paint. He's often digging in areas of the court where you're like, oh, man, is he going to be able to get back to his responsibility? And a lot of times he's not. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the reasons why he's fouled so many three-point shooters. It's because he's late on closeouts and he's really trying to hustle to get back because he understands he needs to try to get a good contest. But then he's going into shooters' bodies and he's picking up fouls that way and other times because the Lakers have been playing smaller on the perimeter at times it's Austin defending like Michael Porter Jr. like Mm -hmm. he was against um, Denver and it's just like he's not impacting that shot even if he does get back and so if Austin's guarding someone who's 6'7 or taller guess what he's not doing he's not going to be able to recover and impact the shooting of that guy that happens all over the roster, really. Like, there's other guys who are helping, but it's mostly, like, inattentiveness. Like, Rui does this a lot. Like, you see him you, you see him sort of wandering off the ball, and then suddenly his guy relocates by, like, a foot and a half or two feet in one direction, and he's like, oh, damn, I'm not in position now. Uh, get back to my guy and so there's a lot of this across the roster like I don't want to just single out Austin but Austin is like the biggest culprit to me in terms of his inability to help and recover yeah and I think that this is is right in the center of what can the Lakers be good at that to me is when you're operating from a position of weakness it starts with the question of like okay what are we good at what can we do and i think that there that level of attentiveness of knowing who your personnel is there is i think a certain degree of we're fine with player x shooting on this particular night if he's open but you have to have that awareness when you're on the court if you're in Austin's position in Rui's position when you are guarding that that player and okay that can be a time where you do help a little bit more and the closeout can be a little bit late but we do that against good shooters right we dig down into the paint and give up an open corner three to somebody who you absolutely don't want to give that up to and so that sort of attentiveness i think is something that can be sharper i don't think we'll see that against two bad teams uh as much in you know, as we head into all-star break. But I do think that that is something as we wait for the cavalry to get back in terms of perimeter defenders, I do think that's something that we can have. You started to discuss solutions, right? And you mentioned zone as a potential solution. One of the things we've been talking about when the Lakers play bigger is they're switching on the back line, right? And so they switch actions between the three, four, and five positions because LeBron, AD, and Rui are all similar enough in size or they or the coaches feel comfortable enough for any of them to switch onto a big versus switching on to a wing and be able to do their job. Similarly, when the Lakers play three guards and you have Austin, D'Lo, and Dinwiddie potentially all on the court together, they're all basically the same size. You should also be switching Guard actions and guard to guard guard actions. Now, will that allow Austin or D'Lo to be targeted? Like, sure, it will. But then you also have to have a plan behind them on what you're going to do to 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 support that. And so in the idea of playing a contained sort of defense and keeping the ball in front front of you and then um trying to funnel the ball to the shooters who you want to shoot from the spots of the floor that you feel comfortable allowing shots to to go up there's a lot of game plan discipline 
that that needs to happen. And that's why it it was encouraging to hear multiple people, including Dinwiddie, say this about himself, but speak about Dinwiddie as like a high IQ player and a guy who can lock into game plan. Because I think that from a defensive perspective, Pete, that's going to be just as crit- critical as like the effort that that he brings is is understanding what the ask is what the job is where my player positioning is supposed to be understanding the calls and what they're doing out out of those calls in order to be the best version that they can be because look man this team with all the guys out they don't have the defensive talent to be an elite defense right now but they need to be a capable defense and then they need to be like They need to continue to be that top 10, potentially pushing into the top five offensive team to win basketball games. Yep. All right. Hopefully we get our our next one of those tonight as we play the Pistons. We will be be back tomorrow to discuss. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic. Got it. Magic fires, it's good, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Here by McLaughlin, three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way, good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Jack with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, stick so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Miss it. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.